Hello and welcome. My name is Lokesh Sani and this is Kuye Kesa, a podcast documenting stories and experiences from the South Asian diaspora, chronicling tales of Kuye identity. Some of the content in this episode deal with adult themes that could be alarming to some listeners. I try to make safe space for everyone. I or my guests do not mean to offend anyone in any way. Please check the show notes. for more detailed descriptions and take care of yourself the majlis or the month of muharram is a very beautiful prime example of understanding that um you know you're challenging the notions of the hypermasculinity by people being able to cry and shed tears um all at the same time uh beat the chests um or feel comfortable enough to take the clothes off to take the shirts off and doesn't matter whether you are a fit man or you are big or very skinny um there were of course men who were very conscious of the fact that it was a time to show off their body so in the same way that for the carnival there would be people who would do training before the carnival time to make sure that they're looking good there were lots of friends i knew who would make sure that they'd go to the gym and kind of do their press ups and do everything or shave their bodies to make sure that they're looking good when they're doing the uh, zanjeer ka matam um so those all examples were there but then there were also examples of people on the shrines on the sufi shrines where the men would wear the dancing bells and dance or the women were allowed to do a ecstatic dance in the gathering where actually it didn't matter whether they were women or they were men and the situation of the sufi shrines was perhaps the only place which was an equalizer in terms of whatever gender you were the third gender was there too at the time it was only the third gender as in the khwaja saras or those who are trans or they are the third gender those were the only places that afforded a space where you could be who you were otherwise i feel the invisible cloak comes with the class either you have to be too poor or you have to be extremely rich then nobody cares a hoot who you are what your sexuality is what you do what your gender is because if you're too poor then nobody is really interested you're invisible anyway and if you're too rich then not everybody can see through so then those who would suffer big time in the precepts of how do people view us 
do we conform to the societal ideology is the middle class and they would get fucked big time my sister was saying the other day that somebody was uh talking about the month of ramadan some mullah there are television channels that give them the air time who's talking about that you should breathe very carefully when you are fasting because if you take too much of a deep breath then that could break your fast and you kind of go what madness is that like how how do you even begin to <laughs> talk to somebody who is preaching this because islam in many ways is an amazing religion when you start looking at the examples the idea of i'm not debating what is this life and what is the afterlife but the idea that you can only go through the gates of heaven if you have pleased your mother if you had the displeasure of your mother you will not enter the promised space which is called the jannat and then you have that same shit that there will be 70 hours for your desire to satisfy you and then in the same line you also have a notification that when you are in heaven there is no such thing as desire anymore <laughs> which is so contradictory um you have these images being created that oh if you uh you would see vines of grape ripe grapes and they will come to you and you can eat them there'll be rivers of milk and honey it's like why would they be there if the if the idea of desire is not there then what do any of those things mean but they in the same way that there are hours there's very little that people talk about the hours the boys who will be there for the satisfaction of the women so it's it's the interpretations have kind of come through such a patriarchal way of thinking they've kind of taken some of the things that they wanted to take because they served their purpose so the women are supposed to have half of what the daughters get half as opposed to the sons from the the parents if the parents have died and the house has to be distributed or the wealth has to be distributed the sons get one the daughters get half it's like why so the reason for that turns out is that the sons will have their own wives to look after the possibility is that the daughters would already be in somebody else's home so they they are being balanced in a way that is why there is less of like okay that doesn't always make sense it doesn't always make sense for the daughters to be married and be somebody else's property because in the arab culture there was also there also very strong examples of matriarchy uh you look at jewish religion the religion passes through the matriarch and not through the father <laughs> in the same way in the arab culture there there was always reference to the father as well as to the mother so fatima binte like daughter of so there were also some examples where the reference is coming with the mother so those things have like kind of categorically disappeared 
I, I remember when I uh, was building my website for the Healing Hands, I was really at a loss in terms of how do I describe the kind of work that I do because it is not a sports massage, it's not a Swedish massage, it is not Reiki, it is not this, it is not that. And I had a very dear friend who was visiting me and we he's a sexologist as well as a therapist and he said, Ali, what you're doing is Tantra. All those years ago, I mean, I did not even have a very clear understanding of the word Tantra. I said, how can it be Tantra? Because it's not sexualized. He said, well, Tantra is not. There's white Tantra and there's red Tantra. And I well, what is white Tantra and what is red Tantra? I said, well, this sounds like a very European interpretation of Tantra, that the colors have been given. And I suppose the white Tantra will be the pure Tantra and the red Tantra would be red signal, red light area, so sexual. So he said, yes. So I said, well, how do I understand this language so well? Um, but then when I read about it, in terms of the distinction between the red and the white, of course, it is those colors attributed exactly in that same way. But Tantra is so much more than just sex. It is taking on board the gender, it is taking on board the sexuality, it is taking on board the sexual energies. And it is the weave. It is the weave and the weft. Uh, that how do you balance the energies together? And that is what Tantra means in the same way that yoga is about breath. Because what is going in and what is coming out, that is what yoga is and that is what balance is. So it was like, okay, I'm going to put that word in, in terms of the description. But then how many people understand that? How many people choose to read what my interpretation of that is because things become populist and in as much as the popular and the populist is very interesting to me because it reaches so many people, it also creates all kinds of different misrepresentations. So when I came here at the age of 25 in UK, I thought I'm in a society now which is open enough for myself to express my sexuality without feeling any restraints or without the need to hide. So I did. I started telling a lot of my class fellows in, on, on the MA course at the art school that, look, I'm gay and this is who I am and this is how it is, and which was very interesting. But then I also realized that there were some people who were taking that notion as if I was presenting myself to have sex with. Just because I'd say that, oh, I'm gay, they kind of said, oh, so do you want to have sex with me? Which is like, no, but I'm just saying that I am who I am. This is my sexuality. And then I also realized that there were some people who were calling themselves gay, but they were so misogynist that deep down it was like, do I even want to call myself gay? This is not feeling right because there are many kinds of gays here and it's, it's I don't want to align myself with this kind of a gay person. <laughs> but then when I met my partner, uh, who became my partner later, um, he was from Trinidad 
Trinidad and Tobago, but came from a Indian heritage. He couldn't believe that there could be gay people coming out of Pakistan. Because I don't know how he had this notion in his head, but that is the notion that he had, that it can't be. And then it became a relationship which lasted for 14 years. But when I look back at it, there was so much of that relationship rested on the fact that I was the other. Even though he was kind of of South Asian background, but he saw me as the other because supposedly I was the real McCoy, according to (laughs) Anna's family. The real McCoy in the sense that they were Caribbean, they had lost the language, they had, uh, so there were lots of lots of things that had happened in the process of them being in the Caribbean, which, according to them, were not Indian enough. And in the strictest, weirdest of anthropological way of assuming what an Indianness would be or what a Pakistaniness would be did not fit quite the right bill. But it's a different context, it's a different history, it's a different story as it's evolved. So how can that be the same as somewhere else within India? And India or Pakistan is not a homogenous identity. What is in the North is completely radically different from what is in the South. East, West, likewise, you know, I mean, it's like, at the end of the day, it comes down to our differences as our differences are, even within a small family. So how can we generalize cultures in that broad brushstroke of, this is so Indian or so, this is not Indian enough, but what is Indian? What is Indian enough and what is kosher as a culture and what isn't um, becomes fascinating. Very seldom use the word gay, I use the word queer. So if people understand queer, then I say queer, otherwise I just say I'm homosexual, you know. Um, Or I tend to describe and say if I have, if I choose to, then I choose to sleep with men. And that is how, you know, if they understand it well and good, but if it is to explain to somebody who has got very little to do with you, they're only trying to understand in order to put you in a particular box, then my middle finger goes up. It's like, you know, can I can I spend a lifetime trying to explain to you what category you want to put me in? You can do what you wish. That's the last of my worries. <laughs> There's a joke. Um, well, the, the Pathans are known to be uh, lovers of boys and and homosexuality is not frowned upon. So you have your male lovers, you have your family, but you have your male lovers. Um, usually that means that the elder men have younger boys. But there, there's, a, there's a little joke about an elderly Pathan guy who decided to get married. And he said, I will only get married to a girl who is purely innocent. 
This is Lan, or this is Laura, or this is this, or this is that. And he said, no, no, none of them, none of them. They all know too much already. So there comes a really beautiful girl, and he takes his pants down and he says, what is this? So she says, hi, it's a parrot. He says, I'm marrying her. She's the innocent one. She knows nothing. And they kind of say, but Khan sahab, she's so young. She says, doesn't matter, doesn't matter. I will teach her everything and, you know, life will be beautiful for us. So on the, on the wedding night, he kind of slowly disrobes her. He starts taking his clothes off and he kind of just sitting face to face and he picks her hand, places it on his dick, which is getting hard by that time. So he says, do you know what this is? <laughs> I told you that date is Tota. And he says, no, this is called Lund. He says, you got to be kidding. Lund are these kind of sizes. This is a Tota. And he just kind of... So, there, there, are, there are people I know who... Girls I know as well as guys I know who have stayed within the conformity of, you know, no sex before the marriage. But they were having anal sex with women. The women were having anal sex because that is the safest, because this so precious hymen is not going to be disrupted. And there's so much emphasis on virginity <laughs> that it's unreal. Even in this day and age, it is unreal. This brings us to the end of the episode. If you enjoy listening to Queer Kesa, please consider leaving a review and follow us on wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at Queer Kesa. If you would like to share any thoughts with us, you can reach out to us on Instagram or email us at queerkesa at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to Quick Kesa. See you next time.